Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Thank you, musicians and platform workers. God bless your ministry. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me this morning to the book of Mark, chapter 9. Mark Chapter 9, you may have heard a story about a man. His name was Frank Sosienski. Normally, this is not a man that would ever make the news. He was a letter carrier in Louisville, Kentucky, or essentially he was a mailman in Louisville, Kentucky. But at some point in his career, again, as a mailman, he got tired of carrying around all that mail. And so over a six-year period, when he would get the mail, rather than carry it on the route and put it in people's mailboxes, he would just take the bag and throw it in his attic. And for years this went on. Finally, when they uh, caught up with him, they found 15 tons of mail in 1,200 different bags in his attic. Of course, when this was discovered, he was charged with delaying mail intended uh, for delivery, which I think that's a pretty kind-hearted charge. But think about this, uh, this absurd story. He is a mailman who doesn't want to deliver the mail. Now, that is a problem. Now, in our scripture, Jesus is describing what a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ is supposed to look like. And the interesting word and the choice of phrases that he decides to use is this word salt. And so this morning, we're going to consider some elements that must be at work in believers, we're going to talk about salty discipleship. Mark chapter 9, verses 49 and 50. It says, For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves, And have peace with one another. Amen. Salty discipleship. Three very simple pictures I want to look at this morning. And the first is the salt of surrender. Now, there are incorrect ideas about our relationship with God. On uh, some, they believe that it's simply about knowledge. I believe in God or I agree with God. 
or that it's merely church attendance and that even when it's convenient. As long as your schedule allows, you know, there's no a sporting event or the weather is pleasant or there's nothing else, you know, you don't have to file your toenails, then of course I'll go to church because that's my relationship with God. But listen, God built into the ancient system of worship the idea of salt. Leviticus 2.13 says, All your sacrifices shall be seasoned with salt. Now, in the ancient world, salt was a very precious commodity. It is very difficult for people in modern society to truly grasp this. We put salt on the road, right? To to us, salt has just such a a limited value. But uh, if you're interested in the subject, there's actually a book uh, called Salt by a man named Mark Kurlansky. And while it sounds like the most boring thing in the world, it is one of the most fascinating books I've ever read. But listen, salt has shaped societies uh, for centuries. The word that we use, salary, you get paid and it's called your salary. That comes from a Roman word for salt. Roman soldiers were paid in salt. Why salt? Because it was more valuable than money. Listen, salt is a picture of value. So think for a moment now what the scripture is saying. It's giving us this revelation of our relationship with God. And that is that number one, it involves cost. There's the cost of obedience. Listen, we are not free to worship any way we desire, but we obey God. Now, in the Old Testament, it was very detailed. In our Bible study series that we just started this morning, we're talking about the Pharisees and the nitpicky Old Testament laws. But listen, there's a principle there in that God is saying, you're going to worship me in a certain way. 1 Samuel 15, 22, to obey is better than sacrifice. And uh, um, uh, the reason that was said was because Saul changed God's commands. So listen, obedience is not about rules. And I want you to get this. Obedience is not about rules. It actually reveals our opinion about God. If we choose not to obey, we can make all kinds of excuses. Well, I don't believe in rules or I don't think, etc., etc., etc. But the real issue is what you're saying is, I don't believe God has a right to tell me how to live my life. So obedience is a cost. So listen, worship was designed to cost you something. In the scripture, there's a uh, a reference to the salt of the covenant. That's literally uh, talking about putting money on the fire. Think about that. In the Old Testament, there are certain sacrifices. They would put salt on them before they burned that. Why would you do that? Because you're demonstrating this is worth something to me. Salt was so valuable. They're saying, God, my worship to you, there's value in this. In First Chronicle 21, 24, David, when he's making the purchase uh, for the temple, he says, I will not worship God with that, which costs me nothing. So Jesus is dealing with our relationship with God today and the principles of discipleship and of following Jesus. 
Our relationship is based on surrender to God. Mark 9, 49. uh, For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Now, in some ways, we are the sacrifice. Romans 12, 1, he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. To be a Christian, if we're going to stand and say, I am a Christian, What that means is that we are saying, I surrender my will for my life to God's will for my life. There may be things that need to be removed from me. Jesus tells the story, the parable about if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. You want to serve God, there's going to have to be some removing. Listen, uh, in life, there's going to have to be things you get rid of. It's amazing to me, and I want to say uh, in all sincerity, it is very discouraging to me. How often I talk to people who keep falling into the same repeated trap of sin, the same messed up uh, uh, pathways of life, and they will not remove anything. So you're blowing your life up every time you do this. You know what? Don't go there anymore. Yeah, I can't do that. You know, get rid of this or stop having access to that. But they refuse. Listen, to serve God says, you know what? I'm willing to get rid of some things. Sometimes there's things that we are called to do. We get rid of some things and we add some things. Saul in the New Testament said, Lord, what would you have me to do? That was immediate. This was uh, uh, his calling and his life purpose. But listen, the overall posture is surrender. So this is the salt of surrender. I read a book A few months ago about mountain climber, uh, Joe Simpson with his friends, they were, uh, sorry, his friend, they were thousands of feet up a mountain called Sula Grande in South America. They were attempting a first ever summit. They accomplished it. But on the way down, there was a terrible accident and Joe was horrifically injured. His Leg was just uh, absolutely destroyed. Now, this is a, a glaciered mountain. They're on the ice. He was separated from his friend. There was no, uh, he assumed his friend was dead. Thankfully, it turns out he wasn't. But Joe, because of his injury, he could not climb. That was absolutely impossible. The only thing he could do was go down, and he found himself in uh, the middle of a glacier uh, crevasse. And so up above him is blue sky and ice walls, and down below him is just a black hole. Now, climbing was impossible, but he made up his mind, I have to move. So he hooked up his ropes, and he began to lower himself into this pitch black hole of ice. And he made the statement, I didn't know If I was ever going to come back up, I just had to surrender. Now, the end of the story, he makes it out, and it's a pretty epic tale. It's worth reading. Uh, But listen, this is a great picture of surrender, the salt 
of surrender. So let's talk then second about the salt of purity. In the ancient world, salt was an important commodity for a very specific reason. There was no refrigeration in the ancient world, and so food would spoil and rot very quickly. And so because of that, this controlled their lives. You couldn't travel unless you were able to take grains and bread, but even then, things had a very limited a lifespan. So travel was limited to a very short distance, what you can carry with you. So then they discovered that salt, if you would uh, apply it to food, if your meat was salted, it was preserved. Then they discovered this applied to all different kinds of food. It kept it from rotting and it purified it. So actually, what they discovered was a very simple principle that salt had influence on whatever it touched. Obviously, we know the practical. If you put salt on something, it becomes salty uh, to the taste. But the other side of that is that salt can preserve something. And so salt uh, developed into a symbol of purity because it kept things pure. And eventually, uh, as we began uh, to learn how to purify salt, we got pure white salt. So salt was a symbol of purity. So here in the scripture, we see that Jesus applied the principle of salt to believers. Matthew 5.13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Listen, there, uh, there has to be an understanding of this. Is Jesus saying, <laughs> dang, you're tasty? I don't think so. I don't think he's saying, you know what, Christians, everywhere you go, man, you just make everyone happier and you make food delicious. That's absurd. Of course not. He's talking about purity. There must be an element of purity in our relationship with God. James 4 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James is talking about uh, our relationship with God, but he's speaking about it like a human relationship. It needs to be pure. It needs to be clean, just like a human relationship. For every married couple, you understand that adultery violates a relationship. It pours wickedness and pollution into what ought to be pure. This is what James is saying. Your relationship with God needs to be pure. And we see that purity brings influence on the world around us that's corrupt. You know, the ancient world was profoundly corrupt. One ancient historian said about Rome, it was like a filthy sewer. You know, here's a very simple statement. When Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you ought to be different. You ought to live different. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm bothered by the whole process and the whole concept of Christians that are doing everything they can to be as much like the world as possible. Why? What, what out there is so amazing? 
you know, is it the, the suicide epidemic? Is that it? Is it child or elder abuse? What is it? The alcoholism, the drug addiction, the broken marriages. What is it in the world that is so appealing? Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You are something that ought to be a purifying element, not an accommodating element. Believers ought to be different. You know, a typical cubic foot of air contains more than a million specks in it that are half a micron or, or larger. Now, a micron is one, it is approximately one twenty-five thousandth of an inch. So, in the air in front of my face, when I'm not talking and spitting, we can assume there's at least a million specks. However, in a clean room at a chip manufacturer like Intel, it's vastly different. When I worked in Prescott for Arizona Telephone, we did network installations at a facility in Prescott. Uh, and what they did is they processed the, the silicon disks that were sent to Intel to make microchips with. All they did was make essentially these big silicon wafers. Now... One time I had to go work in a clean room. Now, this clean room is an order of magnitude cleaner than even an operating room in any hospital. The technology that goes into the air purification to get into the room, there's an airlock. So they go in, the air blows past you and flushes everything off. They make you put on the whole bunny suit. I had to put on the, the boots then when you walk in, you, there's an uh, adhesive patch on the ground. It picks up every bit of dust on your feet so that when you walk into that room, there is not even a single bit of dust because they know one tiny little piece will ruin a chip or even an entire batch of chips. Listen, that's the point. This world, this air, it's corrupt. It's polluted. We are called to live differently. And what we see is that purity brings influence. You know, Jesus speaks of the problem when believers are not pure. The problem is they're just like sinners. Mark 9 verse 50, salt is good, but if it loses its flavor, how will you season it? Now, you have to get this because it's it, for our society that doesn't make sense. How can salt lose its flavor? Understand in the ancient day when they finally got to a point where salt might be kept in the home, salt uh, was not nearly as pure in those days as it was in these days. So in a dish of salt that looks, you know, to the human eye like salt, some percentage of that actually is other minerals. And it might be uh, different uh, uh, limestone, uh, common sand, all different types of minerals that would be in there. And so if it got wet, the salt would dissolve and run away and it would leave behind a substance that looks just like salt, but it's not salty. And so you'd be sprinkling it on your food and nothing, add some more, nothing, that's what Jesus is referencing. He's saying, if your salt loses its flavor, what good is it? It has no purpose. Think this through. You lose your ability to influence. 
Hey there, Sermon Podcast listeners. This is Pastor Adam back with you again. Wanted to just take a second here to thank you once again for listening to this Sermon Podcast. We've had an explosive rate of growth and listenership for the past few weeks, and we hope that you appreciate these daily sermons to encourage you and help you. I just want to share a couple of ratings that we've gotten in the Apple Podcast application. Clint B. writes a five-star review. He said, I am so grateful for our fellowship. Thank you. This podcast, very helpful through the day. Uh, Bobby Sanford from North Carolina said, inspiring. Awesome to hear sermons that are encouraging and inspiring to the church. Uh, We could really use your help to add a couple more of these very helpful reviews. Uh, These do help us to get the word out about this podcast. I want you to know that we have a truly worldwide impact with this podcast from the United States to the UK, Australia, Ireland, Germany, New Zealand, South Africa, Netherlands, Canada, Romania, Afghanistan, Namibia, Vietnam, Switzerland, Kenya, India, Russia, Hong Kong, Ghana, Uganda, Guam, Meritus, Brazil, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Zambia, Japan, Jamaica, Malaysia, Israel, Ukraine. The list goes on and on of nations that are listening to these sermons. So we just want to say thank you for listening. Make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure that you're sharing these when you hear a good one. And please, if you haven't done so already, make sure you leave a five-star rating and a review of what you like about this podcast. Thank you again for listening, and back to the rest of the sermon. Remember, salt is purity. How can you have influence without purity? You go and witness to someone, and they say, I know you. You're not like this. Or... What actually happens is we go and we witness to someone and they say, oh, are you from, oh, I know someone from that church. You know what? Just last night we were out drinking together. And what happens is because you've lost your salt, because you've lost your purity, you have no influence and actually you have negative influence. Then you begin to lose your purpose, right? Think about the salt that has no flavor. Why? What's the point? Right? There's no reason to shake it over your uh, dish. It does nothing. A Christian without purity, you have no purpose. You have no influence. But listen, when there is purity and when there is salt, you and I have a profound ability to influence unbelievers. So let's talk then finally about one final Biblical picture of salt, and that is the salt of peace. The salt of peace. Now, many believers ignore the dimension of relationships. They think that they can have a relationship or have peace with God, but not have peace with people. Just yesterday, I was talking with a pastor uh, another pastor about a man in his congregation and uh, just laughing. You know, we both know uh, this man. He says he is a walking conflict magnet. Listen, that is probably the best description of this guy I've ever heard. Literally everywhere he goes, he's mad at someone and someone's mad at him. He, I mean, he is the, the archetype of the guy that walks in the room and goes, what? I mean, that is him. 
He is conflict all day long. But wait a minute. The context of our scripture, they're fighting with each other. They're fighting with other believers. 1 John 4, 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. That's heavy duty. Now, Pastor Heimberg, listen, you haven't met the guy that sits behind me in church. He is so irritating. I just can't. He's a liar. If you say you love God and you hate your brother, the Bible says you're a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Verse 21, this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Not should, must. Must love his brother also. And so, listen, this is the issue, is that relationships matter. Some people, they have actual hatred. I have talked to people who attend church and claim Christianity, and they, you know, they uh, do exude other signs of Christianity, and yet they are filled with hatred. Some are prejudiced. I've dealt with, I have faced, I have counseled every kind of prejudice Under the sun, sometimes it's just conflict. You know, people who are always in conflict with the people that offended them. Philippians 4, verse 2, he says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintichim to agree with each other in the Lord. He's saying, I plead with you. Sometimes it's just simple selfishness. You know, you don't have to be full of hatred and prejudice and conflict to be wrong in your relationships with people. The priest and the Levite, when the man was bleeding and dying on the Samaritan road, they didn't say, you know what, I hate you, dirtbag. They just said, you know what, I just can't be bothered. And they passed by on the other side. I just can't be bothered with the mess of relationships. And I want you to just listen for a moment. I talk a lot about relationships with people in the church and why they matter. Especially in this season, you've heard me almost every week saying you need to call someone, get a hold of someone, talk to someone. But here's what a lot of Christians do. They say, you know what? I don't want to be in conflict with anyone, so I'm just going to avoid them. I'm just, you know what? It's easier. I don't want to be involved in the mess. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a big mess, and there's always the chance someone will offend me, and then I'll get mad, and then I'll be raw. And listen. That is exactly what the priest and the Levite did. They were walking down the road, religious men, men who read the Bible, men who loved God genuinely, and they saw a man and they're like, you know what? Oh, and that looks like a mess. That looks complicated. Uh, I'm just going to go this way. I'm going to show up at the last minute right before church starts and leave right when it's over so I don't have to talk to anybody. That's wrong. That is not okay. You are called to be in right relationship. And so what our scripture shows us is that relationship with God must impact our human relationships. Mark 9 verse 50, have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. He says, have salt in yourselves, that purity that uh, inside of you, that your relationship with God 
and peace with one another, that means your relationship with God must flow out to other people. You have to deal with these things. You have to deal with hatred and prejudice. Listen, not hide it because you can't hide it from God. You need to deal with it. Conflict must be resolved. And we must have compassion for others. And so the only way to have peace is if we are cleansed from our natural selfishness and self-seeking. Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. That involves a recognition that you are wrong. That involves repentance, right? You, you may need to go uh, and repent to God or to people. This involves asking God to do a miracle. And then we see that when God impacts our relationships, blessing comes. There is protection for our hearts. You know, it's interesting in the present circumstance in which we live, the pandemic that has so drastically affected life around the world, everyone is looking for disinfectant. It's amusing, you know, now looking back on it, but in the beginning, you couldn't find hand sanitizer, you couldn't find bleach, you couldn't find uh, rubbing alcohol, you couldn't find anything because everyone had bought it Every, you know, uh, everyone was making their own uh, closet hand sanitizer. I think some people were getting it wrong. They were trying to make hand sanitizer and accidentally made a martini. But, you know, the, everyone was looking for ways to disinfect. You know, one of the, uh, the ancient ways of disinfection is salt. Salt is a natural disinfectant around uh, the United States. I don't know about other places, but it's become very common in pools, at hotels, in various places. Now, instead of putting chemicals in, they use salt in the water. It's a natural disinfectant. Obviously, I don't know the limits of that. I'm sure there are. But listen, there's a truth there. Is that when there is salt in you, there is blessing. There's protection for your hearts. It brings God's blessing and presence in our lives. In verse 49 of our text, it mentions sacrifices salted with fire. The fire is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 uh, says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. But it's talking about the blessing of God's presence, that your sacrifice would be salted with fire. And the ultimate result of salty discipleship is that your life can make impact. You know, believers who are surrendered and who live in purity and who have healthy relationships, they can make great impact for God. You know what? You don't ever have to preach a sermon. You don't ever have to go as a missionary, but you do have to be a salty disciple. In Acts 17, 8, it says, and these who turn the world upside down have come here also. In the 80s, in nineties, a man named Larry Trapp, he was the grand dragon of the Nebraska KKK. 
He was very active. He would make threatening phone calls, send hate mail, and he would encourage his followers to commit acts of violence against any non-white people, especially Jewish people. He began calling and harassing this one Jewish couple, Michael and Julie Weissner. But instead of reacting with hate, Michael Weissner began calling back. He would, every time Larry Trapp would call to harass him, Michael Weissner would call Larry Trapp back. But every time he called him, all he got was an answering machine. And on this answering machine was a 10-minute long recording where Larry Trapp would go through all of his white supremacy garbage and he would spew this uh, just sick and disgusting vitriol. And he had to listen to that for 10 minutes. 10 minutes speaking against Jews and, and condemning them in all kinds of vile language. But he would listen and at the end he would leave a message. He kept leaving messages that were very frank but loving, telling trap in different ways that hatred was no way to live. I want you to think about that for a moment. This Jewish man would call, and he'd have to listen to a 10-minute-long message. Jews are, and he would just, and he would listen to it all and then say, listen, Larry, you don't have to live this way. You don't have to hate people. There's a better way to live. And he would leave messages, and he did this over and over. One day, when he called and was getting ready to leave the message, Larry picked up the phone. Weissner learned uh, while talking to him that this man actually was disabled. He was a diabetic, a double amputee, and in a stunning offer of friendship. Now, now you th- remember, we're talking Larry Trapp. He is the, the head of the KKK. He's involved in domestic terrorism. This Jewish man is calling him. When he learns that he's paralyzed or that he's a double amputee, In a wheelchair, he says, hey, do you want me to take you to the grocery store? I can go and I can help you shop. Eventually, Michael and his wife, Julie, were given permission to visit Larry's house, which was filled with racial literature and swastikas. When they walked in, Larry Trapp is sitting in a wheelchair with a sawed-off shotgun by his side. When they walked in and they first met Larry, Michael shook his hand and he said all three of them started to cry. They began to talk for hours. Larry asked Michael Weissner, the Jewish man who came to visit him, would you take down the Nazi flag for me? They began to visit him regularly after that, delivering groceries and assisting with house cleaning When doctors finally informed Larry that he had no more than maybe another year to live, the Weissners took Larry Trapp into their own home and let him live with them. Julie gave up her job as a physician's assistant to care for him. Larry ended up converting to Judaism, renounced the horrors of racism, and catch this, he made it a point In the last year of his life, he called every single person he had ever harassed and apologized to them. Ten months after moving in with the Weissners, Larry Trapp died. Some of the African-American victims of his uh, harassment came and spoke at his funeral 
fondly. And Michael Weissner, his improbable Jewish friend, delivered the eulogy for this bigot turned family member. And in the eulogy, Michael referred to him as Brother Larry. I want you to think about that. Michael Weissner is not a preacher, but this was a man who allowed his life to influence and he changed the world because of it. And that is the power of salty discipleship. Amen. I want every head bowed right now. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed, wherever you are. I want you to just take a moment, bow your head, and respect to God. God is here with us. He's meeting with you in your home, wherever you might be. I want to tell you the Spirit of God wants to change you. He wants to transform you. If you are listening to me or you're watching me this morning, I want to tell you Jesus loves you and Jesus died on the cross for you so that you don't have to live the way you always have. The Bible says we've all sinned. We all come short of God's glory. And there's a great penalty for our sin, but it doesn't have to be that way. Jesus died so you wouldn't have to die in your sin. He shed his blood to cleanse you from all the filth and all the violation of your past life. And he rose again from the dead to give you power to live a new life. And what's required of you is that like I preached already, that you surrender to Jesus. And you ask him to forgive you. And the Bible says that in an instant of time, he'll forgive your sin and wash away every stain. And I can tell you from personal experience, he gives you a brand new life. And right now, while your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, if that's you, you, you acknowledge, Pastor Heinberg, that's me. I need to turn from my sin. I want to ask Jesus Christ to forgive me. I want you to raise your hand. This is a signal to God that you want to change your life. And while you're holding your hand up, I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. And I ask you to forgive me for it. Change me and deliver me and teach me to live for you in Jesus' name, amen. God, I'm asking right now, every person that prayed, I need you to reach out and help them. I need you to encourage them in your words, strengthen them by the Holy Spirit. Cause there to be a miracle dimension of grace. Visit and help, Lord God. We need you to minister, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. And Christians, I preach very simple this morning about salty discipleship. This is about how you live your life. And I want to ask you to take a few moments. You begin to pray. Let's begin to talk to God and ask him to help us this morning. Lord Jesus, I'm asking you right now, you'd visit every believer. God, you know every issue and every need. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that's speaking in my heart that's ministering in every heart and every life. In this service, I need you to transform and deliver. God, teach us to live for you in surrender and in purity, God, and in right relationships. Lord, I need you to minister for us and help us. And we thank you, Lord God, for all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vvph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people. Thank you.